If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. And on today's show, one of my favorite all-time guests. That's right. Buckle up, strap in, pull on the power glove or gloves, plural, the eye gear, dial in, tune into the Oasis, because we've got U.S. women's national soccer team superstar, I argue the best defender in the world, NWSL icon Becky Sauerbrunn, one of my all-time favorite interviews, and we are going into the Oasis. We are going to break down Ready Player One, the book, which she loves, and the movie, which, you know, she's dot, 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 maybe critically analyzing to figure out which part she's into and which part she thinks could have been a little bit better. Uh, You know, we're in the middle of it. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And welcome back. Midway through the first season a very fun season of Just Not Sports that we've done. Rick Pitino, Eddie George, Sean Fennessy from The Ringer, Natalie Coughlin, three-time Olympic gold medal swimmer, talking food and wine and shark diving. Yeah, you know, the, the, the natural pairs, food, wine, shark diving. They're like the tinkers to evers to chance of hobbies when you've won, uh, when you've won as many Olympic swimming events as Natalie Coughlin. Really appreciating all the comments on the episodes. Lots of people hit me up on Twitter just talking to me. Uh, I appreciate you Give me a listen on a very busy election week. My plea for next cycle, everyone, let's band together and find a way to block the ads because I just, I don't think the ads are actually influencing anyone except for like the least informed people in the world. Anyway, election ads over for now. On with the pod. We're going back to one of my favorite guests of all time on this show. And we've had, you know, 130 plus guests on the show. Becky Sauerbrunn. Yes, Becky Sauerbrunn of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. America's team. America's team. Because nothing gets America excited to go win like the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team crushing the competition, which they just did to qualify for the World Cup, which they are going to defend Becky, also superstar in the NWSL, uh, formerly of Kansas City, currently of Utah. She's a Virginia Cavalier, but not the kind you can blame for that loss to that really entertaining Twitter account last March. We had on before, we talked about pop culture, specifically sci-fi, fantasy, video games, the stuff that she's into. She talked a lot about Ender's Game. She talked a lot about Ready Player One. She talked a lot about video games, Tomb Raider, stuff like that. And then Ready Player One comes out, the movie. Spielberg's directing it. It looks like a monster hit. Not quite the monster hit. Uh, Not quite doing Black Panther slash Avengers money here. But it was still a global success, and it's Spielberg, and it's like a, a novel that no one can talk about without switching to all caps on Twitter. And I reached out, and I said, Becky, come back. 
come back to Just Not Sports. Talk about this movie. I want to break it down. I want to break down the book. I want to break down the problematic parts of the book that like set Twitter culture aficionados and wonks into a rage about when the first movie trailer hit. I live here in Columbus, Ohio. In 2045, it's still ranked the fastest growing city on Earth. But it sure doesn't seem like it when you live in the stacks. They called our generation the missing millions. Missing not because we went anywhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere except the Oasis. I want to break down video games. What's new? Because I'll tell you what's new. She's finished the most recent Zelda. And yes, it may have required her to sit on the couch for endless amounts of hours, 100 plus hours, sometimes showered, sometimes not. No judging here in this house. We all have days. I got two kids, man. We've got days where we're like, hey, I'm not sure I showered today. I'm not sure I showered yesterday. I'm not passing judgment on that. But she's a huge Zelda head. We break down old school Zelda, new school Zelda. We talk horror movies. We talk other fantasy novels. We talk when is she going to get a cameo in one of these big budget blockbusters? Come on, Hollywood hook Becky up. She's an American hero, best defender in the world. Anyway, I love talking to Becky about this stuff because she's so passionate about it. She's so real about it. I think you're really going to enjoy this glimpse of her personality, who she is. So, Becky Sauerbrunn, the triumphant return to Just Not Sports. I think you're really going to like it. And then afterwards, stick around. I will give you my distraction this week and tease who's coming next week. But I know true killers, criminals and murderers, Pittsburgh stillers, Chi-town animals, bears and all bulls. No cats in Minnesota that's feared like T-wolves. Dudes carry bats like they played for the Dodgers. Detroit the TX like Boy Rogers. You know this, you've been on the show before. I don't talk sports. I do want to ask you one question, though. The reaction to what I'm now dubbing the pass heard around the world. During the tournament, you're, up, you're playing Mexico, and Twitter just explodes, wanting you to, to get this goal already up 5-0. You, you kick the ball over to, to, to Alex for the goal. When, you, when the game wraps and you get online and realize like half the country is literally just sitting there lamenting you, not, not trying the goal, do you want to tell people... Hey, thanks for the support. Or do you want to tell them, hey, that was a great pass. I did the right thing. Shut up. <laughs> uh, I was I was like taken aback by the response. I thought we were out to walk on a social media and it'd just be like, oh, great, USA, you know, destroyed Mexico. Great start to the tournament. And then I think most of what I saw was we need to get Becky a goal. And I was, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. But um, let's, I need to be honest with myself. I knew that. I probably would have missed the goal. So mm. I, in that moment, I made the right decision to pass <laughs> it to the goal scorer than for me to try to do something. Because like in the next game, I had three shots, and I like all of them went over the goal by many yards. So <laughs> like I made the right decision. Hey, and you know what? Sometimes it's it's doing the right thing that just kind of adds to the legend, man. You know, you're you, you know everybody's going to be that much more excited the next next really great chance you get. Oh, for sure. No, it was definitely a strategy that I'm using just to kind of like 
still my brand bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into some of the pop cultural stuff I want to talk to you about tonight, you spent last season in Utah. What's the coolest thing to do in Utah? Because almost everyone that I know that, that either goes out there or spends time out there comes back and they rave about just how beautiful it is and how the outdoors life is, is so captivating. What did you find that was really great about, about you know, uh, kind of shifting gears and, and, and going there last season? I mean, it's so, so different from Kansas City. I mean, I don't think you could really pick two, <laughs> two American cities that are more different. But yep. um, it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, we got in kind of during the winter, so the mountains are just covered in snow. And um, obviously, we can't do skiing or anything like that. But um, there's so many outdoorsy things that you can do. Hiking when it got a little bit warmer. Um, people go out. I mean, it's just so different and very, you know, high desert. And so for me, like, I... In the Midwest girl, I haven't really been around that. But just to kind of experience just a different landscape um, was really fun. I'll, I will say that the altitude kicked my ass. Like oh, that wow. is, yeah. I mean, it is difficult to do soccer in Utah. I mean, it was, it took weeks to kind of feel like my head wasn't going to blow up or my heart wasn't going to blow up. I, I know that pain. I, I I did a long video shoot around endurance sports in Colorado and found myself chasing a runner up a mountainside for about 30 seconds, and then I collapsed. <laughs> so I can't even imagine oh, doing yeah. as much as you're doing at high altitude. Oh, it's no joke. And then it's terrible because you travel and you're away for like three or four days at like regular elevation. Um, you go back and it's like you're starting from scratch. Uh and so you're, you're like feeling this like multiple times during the year. Um, and so that was just, I mean, I feel super fit, but it's still, you know, you just feel terrible. Are you, an, by the way, are you a camper? Are you an outdoors person? Um, I would say I'm a decent outdoors person. I am not like a camper. If I did camp, it'd be more like glamping. <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I, I cannot sleep on something that even resembles the, the consistency of the ground. <laughs> It's like we invented chairs for a reason. We invented beds for a reason. We're going backwards with this. <laughs> I know, but I mean, people that love camping, I mean, they are diehards. They love it. And I, I can see the appeal to it. I just haven't been able to um, allow myself to experience that. Well, that's why today we're going to talk about movies and video games and all sorts of other uh, uh, glamping-related stuff instead. So last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about uh, Ready Player One, because it was one of your all-time favorite books. And the movie has since come out. I know we traded some notes back and forth uh, you know, throughout the year, just figuring out when you could come on. So I'm dying to know, what was your verdict on the movie because you were such a big fan of the book? And on a scale of like one to four stars, like what would the, what would the Becky Sauerbrunn rating be? Okay, so I'm going to qualify. If I could rate the movie having probably not read the book, I would say the movie was pretty good. I would give the movie three out of four stars. Okay. Having... Read the book, though, I by far love the book more than the movie. And I feel like that's true about most of these, you know, book-to-film adaptations. Um, so if I had to rate it as I am, I would say probably two stars. I think it was, I think it's a quality film. I just think the book offered more than the film. Yeah, I... I thought the movie was fine, uh, and and I got uh, plenty of like specific questions for you. I, I want to start though with the book. Like, what was it about 
the novel that you warmed to so much? Uh, was it just the, 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 the world building of all the pop culture that you might remember uh, from growing up? Or was it just something deeper about a connection with the characters or, or something about the narrative? I, I mean, I, I love the pop culture part of it. Some of it was even just like slightly older than me. So some mm-hmm. of it I still didn't get. Um, but I thought Wade Watts, I felt similar to him in that like, you find ways to escape and sometimes you can get too far into that escapism. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I felt that with, with Wade, like what he was got kind of going through. Cause I, you know, do that myself to, you know, get away from, um, you know, worldly problems of which there are many these days. Um, and I just thought that the character was really fleshed out. The world was really fleshed out, both of them, both the real world um, and the digital world. And I think, a successful author can do one of those well. And I think that Ernest Klein somehow did that successfully for two things, which makes it for me even like more spectacular. Yeah. I reread the book going back into the movie. Cause it's an easy, it's a pretty breezy read and I just wanted to reground myself in it. And there were elements of the story that I still really like. I, now, when I on the second reading, I, I caught a lot of the stylistic complaints that people make about the book. I mean, his writing style can be loose to the border of of casual. He he kind of like yada 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 some things. Like the, the one scene specifically that always drives me crazy is when Wade's on his way to Columbus and he's like, "Man, you know, you got to be careful because out here there's like these roving caravans of pirates that'll come mess with your bus and." I'm like, well, why didn't they just write that? <laughs> like, why didn't he have like a, like, there's like little things like that. And I guess it made me very attuned to the fact that when the movie was getting ready to come out and when the trailers were being released, there was a distinct loud backlash, especially on Twitter, from people who kind of consider themselves, I don't want to say snobs, but like pop culture aficionados who really started shitting, <laughs> shitting on the book. And I, were, you, were you seeing that as well? And, and did it make you at all either defensive about your love of the book or were you willing to reconsider some of the complaints people seemed to have? Because there was a lot of be- negative feelings about the book and the fact that this movie was even being made at all. What... So was it the complaints they were mostly about the writing or just the pop culture references or both? The good point. I do think that the two common complaints that I saw, one was that they just felt like the book wasn't particularly well written. It was a debut novel, I think, for him, or maybe like maybe it was his second. And I think some of that you can chalk chalk up to um, a little bit of professional jealousy because it was such a phenomenon and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a Jonathan Franzen novel, but like it's, it's pop culture. The other complaint though was I think, and I was going to ask you about this. There was a complaint I think about in the post Gamergate post online harassment, toxic masculinity, toxic geekdom world that we live in now. I think there was some projection of our current mood back onto the novel and just the way that the novel portrays, here's a here's an author who says the world needs to revolve around my pop cultural tastes and the things that I want to own. So do, you, do, do did you see any of that or did you read that that way when you when you start to hear that people were were upset with, you know, that the book even exists? No, I mean, I didn't really see any of that. But now that you need to talk about it, I can see some of that. I mean, I don't, it wouldn't make me say the book isn't as good as it was. Um, I could I could see people arguing that the book made kind of the internet oasis so positive and so pleasant when really these days we see that it is so toxic. 
Um, so I could see that they kind of made it into this like fairy fairyland when really, you know, there's so many people saying you know, social media, like it's, it's very toxic, it's very divisive, especially right now. And I think some of that was, was unfair. And I think others was, it was just, why is Steven Spielberg doing this? You know, cause it was, it is so, um, number one, self-referential. I mean, there's the back to the future car in it. There's like all these things that like Spielberg mm-hmm. has some connection to, I think he was a producer on back to the future. Um, but also just, it felt very trivial for a, a filmmaker who's doing things like Lincoln and stuff like that. I guess from your perspective, does this feel like a Spielberg movie to you? It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they certainly tried. And even when I looked at the, the movie poster for it, I'm like, oh, that looks very Steven Spielberg-ish. <laughs> right. But I don't, I don't think that it didn't feel like that to me now. What do you think the movie got right? What do you think the movie got wrong? Let's start with, let's start with right. Okay, so what I think the film did right is, compared to the book, I thought the film gave female characters more of a positive impact on the Oasis and the world itself. Like I did read where um, people thought that Artemis in the book was kind of a like gift at the end of the movie to Wade Watts for like doing everything that he did. Um, And I kind of like looking back, I'm like, Oh, that's really, that's really interesting because she is this like pixie like video gamer's dream Mm -hmm. that we don't really see until the very end. And so I thought that in the film, having her have this whole kind of side story where she's like anti IOI and, you know, she's leading the resistance against this organization. Um, it was far from the novel, but I did, I appreciated it. My only complaint about Artemis is just when are filmmakers going to realize that taking a beautiful actress and smearing like a little bit of makeup over one side of her face does not make her <laughs> this like hideous person who has to be so self-conscious with everything. Because that was also a complaint I remember from the book was just that it that it tries to play up. Oh, here's this. You know, she and I get what the story was trying to do that, you know, that, that, that when you're self-conscious about yourself, that you go into this artificial uh, avatar and you can feel better. But they, it did get a lot of snark from people being like, it, it reminded me of She's All That, you know, from the 90s, where oh, it's just a beautiful totally. woman wearing glasses, and everyone's like, oh, she's so hideous. <laughs> so how do you feel like they, they dealt with the red wine um, birthmark uh, stuff? Well, it seems, I mean, that was huge in the book. That was very disappointing. And then I'm trying to remember the film. I, I, they didn't really address it that much in the film, right? I mean, she, at the end, like when he meets her, she's all self-conscious, but everyone's just kind of like, you can barely, in most scenes, you can barely see it. Like even when the yeah. light's on her face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also kind of interesting when you compare that to Wade Watts in the book and Wade Watts in the film. Because like in the book, I appreciated that Wade Watts, he's overweight. He acknowledges he's overweight. He starts like, doesn't he restrict himself from entering the Oasis until he's completed this exercise program? Yep, yep. And so you have a man a male character like finding confidence physically, but you're not showing this female character finding confidence physically. You're actually doing quite the opposite. So what did you think it got wrong? And I, and feel free to <laughs> get as, as nitpicky as you want, my friend, because that's what this show is all about. So the, my biggest complaint was the first challenge. And I understand that it was, cinematically probably way cooler to do this huge like monster race with all these old cars with all these different you know pop culture references to them but what I love so much in the book about the first challenge is that it took place on 
the planet that everyone had access to, mm-hmm. which was, I believe, just kind of like the public school. I think it was called Ludus. Yep. And I, I appreciated that anybody who like wanted to get an education probably had the upper hand in finding that first challenge. And so I understand the film. This is like, if I had not read the book, I'm sure the first challenge was like awesome to watch. But the whole time I was like, man, like, uh, I don't care about, you know, Godzilla and this or the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Like, he finishes the race going backwards. Like, that's not that cool to me. That really, <laughs> for me, I just, it like, it kind of lost that like, nostalgic quaintness that I liked from the book. I 100% agree. I, I was bothered by it as well because I do think there was a there was a charm to the idea that the that you know and, and in the book we forget but like everybody was hunting for it and then everyone had kind of given up or at least they felt like everyone had kind of given up. And so when he stumbles on that first key, it really kind of comes out of nowhere and I think and, and it reignites the passion for it and I think that having this daily race that, that, that the Sixers are, are clearly, you know, trying to win, really undercut just how long this thing had been lying dormant. Um, and, mm-hmm. I'm with, and I'm with you that, yeah, King Kong, you know, th- that stuff is fun, but there were all sorts of other places later they probably could have woven that in and kept the charm of him just finding the, the, the place, you know, to begin with. What, what, else, what else bothered you? What else kind of sticks in your mind is like, come on, Steven Spielberg, what were you doing? And he's a listener, so he's going to get all this feedback. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's frightening. <laughs> um, well, going along with that first challenge, the, the way that they had to reenact the, um, the movies. So I think the first one was the War Games uh, movie, and I thought that was, would have been a really interesting challenge to a director to have to reenact a movie inside a movie. Like, how meta is that? And, like, that would have been really fascinating for me. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been as interesting for people to watch um, because it seems like it'd be really challenging, but I really loved that part of the book is when they're going, you know, line for line, especially with um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like, I thought that was a really great way to end the book, kind of, with all of them together laughing and just, like having fun acting out this movie. Yeah, it's funny because I, I thought doing The Shining recreation was really tense and interesting. And then it got me thinking, the, the movie does, like the first challenge, it makes it more of a, you know, because I think the first challenge in the book, they just play the video game Joust. And I mm-hmm. was, I remember thinking, well, why don't they just have this huge set piece where you're actually on the, the flying whatever, ostriches or whatever, or whatever, like and stay more faithful to it. But they, but they don't. They didn't do that. And then I thought, well, if you're gonna at the end of the at the end of the movie have them sit there and play a video game, it just was strange that the way he picked and, ch- and chose when to just abandon the material and go big, and when to abandon the material and go smaller. And I just wondered if there was room to maybe stay oh, a little, stay a little bit more faithful to the vision, given that it was going to do both those things anyway. Yeah, no, that's, that is a great point because in the film, you're really just watching the person play an invisible, an invisible vid, uh, video game. Right. <laughs> with all this stuff happening around. Like that would have been really interesting to cut from inside the video game back to the Oasis. My biggest complaint in the entire movie is at the end of the book, Wade gets purposely caught to go in and do this, hatch this big scheme to like, you know, save the day. And in this one, Artemis sacrifices herself 
but it just doesn't feel as it feels more haphazard and not by design. In the in the book, you don't really know what he's up to until it happens. You kind of have to keep plowing through that section. So, what did you think about the way that they did where they they put her into the you know into servitude at the end? Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I think that was the film trying to rectify the lack of female like agency in the book. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it was almost like throwing the female character a bone and like, Hey, here's your, here's your 15 minutes. Um, I'm glad that they tried to do that. I don't think it was very successful. Why don't they just have her hatch that scheme? Cause that would make her even ballsier and cooler. It's like, it, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the look of the Oasis? Cause we, we had that, we had an exchange, I think, when the first trailer came out on Twitter where you were like, I don't, this was not what I was expecting. So how long watching the movie did you find yourself immersed in that world for what it was visually? I mean, it took a little bit. I eventually was just like, you need to just enjoy this movie for what it is and, you know, stop being such a snob. Um, <laughs> so it took, me, it took me a while because, I mean, when you read a book, in your imagination, you've got a very clear picture. And this book just evokes imagination. And so, you know, I had this kind of like pixelated view of what the Oasis would look like. And that's probably from, you know, growing up playing Nintendo and to go into the film and it's just so CGI'd out, you know, there's just stimulus overload. So, I mean, it did take me a while, but I, you know, I eventually got into it. Would you recommend this movie? Would I recommend this movie? Mm. Yeah, if someone was just like, hey, I want a, a fun movie, what would you suggest? Yeah, I would I would throw this out there. What, like, your teammates, like, on on, on the U.S. team, are, are is anyone, like, kind of a, a closet geek like, like you and me that, that you'd say, hey, go check out X, Y, or Z? Or when you're watching this stuff and talking about it, are they just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, this would have been kind of a hard sell with, with my team, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was a very hard sell with my wife who told me to, to wait till I was on an airplane to watch it. Um, <laughs> so you, you mentioned something else is coming out, The Name of the Wind. I know you're excited about it. It was a book, I believe it was a book series, correct? Yeah, two of the three books are out. And so they're making, it looks like Sam Raimi and Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is an amazing combination, are turning this mm-hmm. into a show. What have you heard about this and how excited are you? So I, I, that is all that I have heard what you just listed right there. My boyfriend, who is a huge fan of this series as well, I got him into that, by the way. Um, he <laughs> just sent us, he like made us, like he phoned me during workday, which he like normally just texts me. He's like, I just need to tell you something. It's going to last 30 seconds. And then he just hung up on me. And he said that to me and I was ecstatic. I mean, I loved the first two books. I've been waiting very anxiously for Patrick Russell to get this other book out there. But it's just a combination of so many, I think, influencing books like Harry Potter, like Game of Thrones, like wrapped up into these first two books. So what is this series about? So it's basically a man telling his story and he's kind of this reluctant hero. Um, And so the first book is um, kind of the first day of him telling his story. And then the second is the second day of him telling this story to this traveling writer. And he just has this fantastic adventuring life where, you know, he is introduced to, you know, magical forces. He goes to school, he gets in trouble, he becomes a musician. 
Um, and it, there's just so much to it. And it's just, it's really well written. It's a really well um, fleshed out world, um, which for me, like I said earlier, is just kind of like, you don't get that very often. And so it's a page turner. And I haven't really had many books recently where I'm like, I have to finish this thing. And you're and you're a big reader. I mean, how many books do you do you read a year on average? You think? Uh, I'm probably averaging like a, a book every two weeks, depending on how busy soccer is. Yeah, that's a good click, though. I mean, that's a pretty good rate. Um, so you'd say go check this one out. The first one is the King Killer Chronicles. Is that right? Yes, that's the name of the series. Okay. Well, look, you like expansive worlds, so let me switch gears again real quick. Because you told me that you just finished Zelda, and the new one, I think, is called Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. How how long did it take you to finish? This is kind of embarrassing. Um, I actually went through a little bit of a crisis where I saw how many hours I had logged playing that game. (laughs) Um, It took me, and believe me, I put off beating the bad guy at the very end um, for many weeks, because it's one of those games where you can just get lost doing side quests. Um, So... I probably clocked like 150 hours playing this game, which <laughs> when I no, I know. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of frightening. It's, it's actually very frightening. And so I have put that away for <laughs> a little bit because it's still calling to me to finish side quests. And I'm like, no, no, I have to do real life things. I have to stay engaged with the real world. What do you like when you play? Do you have like a like a, a, a cave-like pro-style setup, or you just like sit down on the floor or like wherever you're comfortable and, and just dive in pretty casually? So I'm playing, I played the game on the Switch, which you can either hook up to your TV or go mobile. So I always played it mobile because I'm always uh, on the road traveling for soccer. So I'm playing everywhere, in planes, in airports, hotels, hotel lobbies. You know, anytime I could get like 30 minutes, I would, I'd be playing. But if I'm in my house, and this is, my boyfriend loves to tell this story. Like I will have finished training for the day and I will have not showered, not made myself um, <laughs> lunch or any sort of like smoothie or drink. He'll come in from work hours later. There'll be no lights on and I'll, <laughs> you'll just see me, the lights like reflecting down the hall and hear me just shooting things. And he'll be like, Oh no, like you got, you got lost again. I'm like, I did. I did. I, I can relate. I, I can relate uh, 100%. Like if, 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 if I get home and, and you know, I put the kids down for like a nap time for a couple hours and then I'm like, I should go shower. I should go do something. And I look up and I'm like, oh, I just sat here and watched Friday the 13th part six on AMC for two hours and like just <laughs> stared. <laughs> you're like, yeah, it's just, I just need to know how it ends. <laughs> right. So the, you're a huge Zelda fan. What is it about? You, you mentioned it's calling to you. Like, what is it? What is it about the game? Is it the gameplay or is it more of the exploration of the world? Since you are someone that likes a deep narrative world to kind of get lost in. Yeah, it's definitely the world. And this is the biggest world that's ever been created for a Nintendo game. I think Skyrim is another one that's even close to being as built out. And it's the way that it was um, formatted. There's no linear like adventure. Like you basically travel to side adventure. And so you could beat the bad guy, the the final boss on the on the first day that you pick up the game, which, Mm. you know, in most games, it's ridiculous. You'd never hear that. Um, And each part of the world is so different. And I mean, there's the, 
the music that plays, it's different for every area that you travel to. And it's just, there's so much to discover um, and so many puzzles to solve and bad guys to beat. And it's just, it's like 150 hours. Like I could have definitely done twice that easily if I really <laughs> wanted to explore everything. Like when you're in an airport traveling, are, are coaches or teammates kind of yelling at you like, hey, hey, let's go, let's go. You're, you're going to miss sporting. Or like you ever have those moments? <laughs> Um, I, I don't have those moments in airport in airports just because I have like an, an anxiety that I need to get on the plane as soon as the gate opens. Mm. Um, but if it's, um, we'll be in the hotel and my roommate will be like, yo, like we've got meal, we've got meetings, we've got training, you know, I definitely need to be kicked in the ass every once in a while. <laughs> What's your favorite part or, or maybe what was your favorite side quest from the, in, within the game? Oh man, there's, there's all these little I want to call them huts, but each one is its own puzzle to solve. And you're given these abilities that you can like move things telekinetically. You can use ice, fire, things like that. And each time you solve the puzzle correctly, you get a weapon. Um, and there are like 150 of these things throughout the world. And so solving, finding those and solving those um, probably took up a lot of the time. <laughs> How do you compare this newer version to... Um, the, the, like the original, because you were a huge fan of the original growing up. So, do, do do you like these these more advanced versions more, or was there something about the nostalgia of the of the early the, you know, the old Nintendo stuff that that still um, you know is appealing to you? I really enjoy both. I like the open world, and then I also kind of like the Legend of Zelda and the older ones that you would could play on you know Super Nintendo. And I think the creators of Zelda have actually, like, they play with that. So some games that come out kind of have more of that callback to the 80s and 90s Zelda. And then you have something like Breath of the Wild that just completely changes, like, the gaming world. Um, and so I really enjoyed both, actually. And I'm surprised that I do, because I do like the open world concept so much. But there is something about going back and kind of playing that 2D-looking pixelated version that um, just feels right. I know totally. In fact, okay. If I if I were to hum the music, do you, I'm gonna hum a line of the music. Let me see if you could fish in it. Like, is it isn't it like da 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 da? That is good. That is pro. That is pro style humming. Now, did you like the Adventures of Link, the one that came after the original Zelda? That is probably my least favorite, right. and. That was the like the time in my gaming life where my brothers were limiting my use of the Nintendo, so I didn't get to play it as much. <laughs> well, I also think that was a time when people, when video game makers were taking the sequels and trying way too hard. Like I remember Mario Two came out, and it's just perplexing. Oh. It's so different, and, yeah. and 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 Adventures of Link. What I loved was the sort of walking the map of the original game, and it feels like a totally different game to play Link and just. It's much more of about the action of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. And Super Mario 2, that's that's a great call because it's like they made a completely different game and then thought, well, if we just put like Princess's face on this, no one will notice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and and look, uh, as we get ready to wrap up here, Tomb Raider. You said, I mean, the clear the movie came out last time you came on the show. We talked about uh, your love of that of that series. What what'd you think of the movie? I, I mean, I was thrilled that they were even going to do the movie um, and kind of like redo the universe. Um, and I love that Alicia Vikander 
was the lead actress. I thought that was a, like a good call. And the cast was like, okay, I'm like into this. This is going to be good. Um, and having played the video games that the movie is based off of, the movie basically was like all the cutscenes of the video game put together. Hmm. And so I was like, I know exactly what's going to happen. This is bizarre. You know, like <laughs> they changed around a few things. Like the father has more of a role in the movie than in the video game. But for the most part, it was like eerily similar. And I was kind of, this is one of those times where I was hoping like, do more with it, you know, like expand, you like do your own thing. And it was oddly close to. I mean, look, you're, you're a World Cup winner. You're a national hero. You can't call, you can't have your agent call up somebody and, and say, I want to I wanna get you a draft for the next one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Give me a, a small part in it, please. Oh, 100%. Have you, have you been approached to do movies or cameos on things? No, no, but what a great idea. <laughs> what, what would you want? Like, if you could get a cameo on like, any show right now, what would you choose? A cameo in a show. Oh, man. I don't even know. That's such a good question and so many good shows. What are you, what are you currently watching? Like, what, what's on your queue right now, if I were to say, what, what, what are you into? Well, I'm, I'm watching Making a Murderer, so that's why I can't really... That's, like, stuck in my head, but I don't want to be in that... Please do not. Please do not have a cameo in that. <laughs> exactly. That's the only thing stuck in my head right now. I did just watch um, Amazon's um, Jack Ryan. Okay. And that that was great. I don't know if you've seen it or not yet, but no, I highly recommend that. We we yeah, that was a a good one. Yeah, I travel a lot uh, for work, and and with the with the, y- the young kids, it's a lot of uh, jockeying uh, with them for control of the remote. We did sneak in the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, which I thought was excellent. Um, but oh, I don't wow. know. Are I you, heard good things. Are you into scary stuff or no? Yes, I am. So it's Halloween this week. What's your What's your all time? Give us your all time favorite scary movie. All time favorite scary movie. I will go with Exorcist. Yeah. It's still it's it's still it still holds up. It's truly terrifying. It is. It's, it really is. And I saw it when I was young, and then I saw it when it came out for one of its anniversaries. And I think they added, or yeah, I think they added scenes that they couldn't show back when it was first released, which made it even more frightening. <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure horror movie? Like I love the Friday the Thirteenth sequels, like Part Six. I ride for like totally. Like, do you have anything that you did that people just say? Oh my gosh, really, Becky? Why are you watching this? Uh, probably Scream. Oh, but Scream's good. I mean, it, the, the, the first one's a classic. Yeah, okay, well, I'm glad that you say that. Um, I definitely found myself going down the rabbit hole of reading all the Scream's plot synopsis um, the other day, which is, I like caught myself, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, um, on, like on Wikipedia? Yeah, like you were on Wikipedia pages for them? Oh, yeah, yeah, for at least like 45 minutes just, just rereading the play-by-play of all the screens. Um, but, yeah, I think they kind of went downhill after that first one. Yeah. Um, but I just remember watching that with one of my girlfriends, like, at her, like, lake house, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we were probably too young to watch it and just being frightened for months that he was in my closet or he was under my bed and just not sleeping well. I mean, it just had, like, a huge impact on me. It really, it really was terrifying, and that, it came at a time when horror movies at that stage had become like a, too, so jokey, like Freddie making you know just terrible puns and jokes. And so to have one that came out that was legitimately jumpy and terrifying and real and grounded in the real world was 
was rough because we were at, mm-hmm. at we were at an age when that was still pretty impressionable for sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, look, you've been so generous with your time. I don't want to keep you uh, t- talking about w- Wikipedia pages <laughs> while you have other things to do. Any w- to end, what in the next year are you really excited? Uh, are you really excited for? Like last time we talked, we were we were getting amped up for Ready Player One and other stuff like that. So, I- is there any one or two things that you're just uh, you're just so excited to to be able to to have coming down the pike here? Well, the new Tomb Raider just came out for Xbox One, so I'm excited about that. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2, which is another video oh, game yeah. that yeah that I'm super excited about playing. So, immediate future, probably those games. Those games, for sure. There's a lot of gaming in my future. I can feel it. Ah, uh, well, look, anything to keep you off Zelda, right? I mean, <laughs> 150 <laughs> yeah, hours. Right? We can't risk you going back into that rabbit hole before the World Cup. Come on. <laughs> no, that's very unhealthy for me. Well, Becky, thank you so much for joining. These are always such fun, uh, fun conversations with you. And goal or no goal, uh, we are all cheering for you, my friend. All right, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Life's just one big jump shot. Try to maintain and refrain from the strain and don't get lost in the sauce. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all, you know, do interesting things and show off their personality and get into stuff away from the court or the pitch or the field or wherever they are. And we tell them, you are being a distraction, a locker room distraction. Go back to watching game film. Stop being yourself. Stop being interesting. That is ridiculous. So on this show, we don't just call athletes distractions. We celebrate distractions. And every week I tell you what I'm doing that's distracting me. And this week I want to talk about, man, it's really tough to say. I'm not sure if I can even call it my all-time favorite show anymore, but I feel like it is. It's The Simpsons. Okay? Because I'm a bit late to this. This happened like a week or so ago. Because the Simpsons decided they're going to take a poo out of circulation, if you will. They're going to phase out the character of a poo. No show in my entire life, in fact, no piece of pop culture in my entire life has ever influenced my own sensibilities and personality the way the Simpsons had. It was my all-time favorite thing to consume outside of like homemade Buckeye candies and uh, uh, red red cream soda. Um, as a youth, like I just absorbed the, the Simpsons. I, I, I would go home and tape the episodes and then watch the tapes back until they broke. I would watch the DVDs and it set the tone of my humor. I mean, the way that I, the cadence of the way that I tell a joke is grounded in how Bart Simpson is. For the life of me, I can't recall something that I could drop quotes from or just naturally hearken back to, with or without thinking about it, as The Simpsons, as much as The Simpsons. And yet, I dropped off The Simpsons like, I mean, almost two decades ago now. I, I can't remember regularly watching the show after college. And I graduated from college in the early 2000s. 
So you're talking about a huge integral part of my life that I just have abandoned for far longer than I ever was into it. It's it's almost akin to loving a band and being like, that's my all-time favorite band. And then someone says, when's the last time you listened to In Utero or uh, you know, The Chronic? And you go, I don't know, <laughs> 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It, it, it's something that goes like, it becomes second nature to you and yet it is continuing to persist and you are no longer a part of that. And so I have a difficult time asking myself, is The Simpsons still my favorite show? Of all time, probably. Um, but it's still around and I've ignored it actively and knowingly for so long. So it's hard to figure out where that actually fits within the context of my life and my current worldview. So I say this to say Let's talk about a poo for a second and how I processed that news. Because there's a huge controversy that has erupted. I mean, it's always kind of lingered around the Apu character, him being a, a over-the-top Indian stereotype. I've always reconciled in my head that Apu existed to satire the way we think about Indian Americans and Indians in general, uh, and really foreigners in general, that... The stereotype was the joke because that stereotype um, was mocking people who believe that a guy working in a convenience store has to be like this. More people have come forward to say, people who are Indian Americans, to say Apu is a hard part of my life because other people would see the character and just sort of call me Apu or thank you very much, like do the voice, just like that. you know. Like, And I've heard that done to people. I've seen that done. So I get, I get why people would be bothered by it. And I get why, with the distance of time, we should reevaluate the character. I, don't, I, I no longer think of Apu as being a satire of Indian Americans because Indian Americans are so much more visible in our, in our pop culture, in our, in, our, in our government, in our culture at large. We have other people to look at to get the, the, the real view of what a, a complicated, interesting Indian American character is. So it's, it, it's easy for me to just be like, Cool, time to retire that character. And yet, here we are again, right? With people throwing out, oh, PC this, and Napu's not hurting anybody, or he started his satire, so let him be. And to that, I just have two things to say. There's nothing more basic than resisting change. Change just happens. Change is what every generation has said, well, my generation is going to be the one that not, doesn't have to change. Like My norms will stay there forever. And the dumbest thing in the world is to say that that's going to happen because we know better. We have a historical record that says every generation is a reaction against what came before it. They're going to come up with their new norms or whatever. And I say embrace that. And I'll give you a sports example of that. Do you want to be the crusty old baseball player who's sitting there saying, well, in my day, I would have thrown that guy's head. <laughs> if he had done that to me. Or in my day, I never would have flipped my bat because I hit a home run in 1985 and I didn't flip it or the cameras didn't catch it. Or do you want to be George Brett who does an interview and all he does is Peter Gammons once pointed out to me and I never forgot it. All he does is say, man, do you watch the way that Javi Baez hits the ball? Like celebrate what comes next for what it is and not take it personally for what it says about what you are or what you were. And then to bring that to my second point, what you are and what you were is fluid too. 
Because I'm not that kid going home and taping VHS Simpsons anymore, and I'm not watching DVDs of The Simpsons anymore. I'm a guy who's moved forward. And it's always a part of my life, and it's always a part of... It's imprinted into my humor and my sensibilities and what I think about the world, and that's always there. Whether the character on a show that I haven't watched for 15 years is or isn't. So rather than getting so frustrated by whether... You, the person who's probably still not watching The Simpsons, who probably grew up with it and just can't understand why the characters there are not, instead of getting frustrated that it doesn't look the way you're used to, look at your options. You can A, continue to tune out the show, because you probably have been. B, you can watch it for what it is and just appreciate it and move forward. Or C, I don't know, put in your DVDs and watch a poo. Go to your phone, watch a poo. Go to your computer, watch a poo. Two of those three things, all three of those things didn't exist when I was growing up, okay? You had to earn the pop culture that you wanted to watch, and now it's just there for you all the time, and you're taking it for granted. So you don't have to miss the character of a poo on an emotional term. You can watch him anytime. But let a new generation decide, and the show's creators and current writers decide what to do with it. And that's okay, because it's way cooler to be George Brett high-fiving in the stands at some awesome hit from some awesome new player than it is to be crush the old son of a bitch saying, we did it better in my day. Because that's not always the case, man. And there's only a handful of episodes that I actually liked anyway. I don't know. Sometimes you just have to move on, man. So, Apu, rest in peace. Okay, that is my distraction for the week. Simpsons-related, in dedication to Becky Sauerbrunn, Shout out to her. Thank you for coming on. Go U.S. Women's National Team. Go, go, go USA. We will be watching you. Charlie, who's gone to NWSL games, has loved them. We we support the Chicago Red Stars here in Chicago. Go check out those games. Man, those players are good, man. They're just really good. <laughs> go check out those games. They're really great. And next week on the show... Oh, ho-hum, no big deal. Oh, just another Olympic gold medalist. It is shot put guru. That's right, the shot diva, as she calls herself, Michelle Carter. She is not only an Olympic champion, America's premier uh, shot putter. She's a makeup artist, man. She's a beauty icon. So take a listen to her talking about the art of applying makeup and just how unnerving it is to do it before your friend's wedding. How do you describe the level of pressure you feel having to come through for somebody else on their big moment? Oh my goodness. I am always so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so nervous. I, I like to do a practice run and I even write down all the products I use on their face when and where, especially if it's for a wedding. If it's just for a regular event, you know, that's different. But for a wedding, I want them to look the way that they want to look. And I'm nervous the whole time because until they look at the mirror and they tell me they like it, you know, I don't know if they're going to like it because they right. can change their mind that day. Okay, tune back in for that next week. Thank you for listening. Appreciate all the support. Hit me up on Twitter at Just Not Sports, Instagram at Just Not Sports. Facebook. I mean, I don't really check the Facebook that much, but you can try it. <laughs> Email me justnotsports at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And in the immortal words of rapper extraordinaire Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. <laughs>